Let's join together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we don't take it lightly when we have the privilege of turning to your word because that's exactly what it is. So we thank you for that, and we pray that you would help us to interact with familiar scriptures. Perhaps we'll hear nothing that we haven't heard before, but we pray that these reminders would cause us, at least in our own little world, to have a revolution. May things change dramatically, and may people around understand that it's coming from you. So we thank you for this now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Titus chapter 2, looking at just two verses this morning, verses 9 and 10. You'll notice as we read those verses, it starts out with the word bondservants. That translates the Greek word doulos, can be translated slave. In fact, it is translated slave in the NIV, in the Holman Christian Standard, in the New Living Translation. It can refer to involuntary or voluntary servanthood or slavery. It is a situation that nobody really wanted to ever find himself in, but there were people in that day, many of whom were bond servants and were addressed. And our application for each one of us is not necessarily to masters, but think about employers and think about those that have authority over us because that's where the application will be. And here's what it says. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now the point is this, if bond servants can be called on to react to their masters in this way, what kind of responsibility is on Christian workers? on Christian students, team members in sports, those in marching bands, those in choruses, those who have somebody who's directing them? What responsibility is on us? How are we supposed to relate to those in authority over us? How are we supposed to relate to our bosses, our teachers, our supervisors, our coaches, our directors? Some of you are saying, I'm too old for any of that. I'm not submissive to anybody, but everybody can find somebody to be submissive to. And if not... Uh, then relate this to the Lord and our submission to Him. We have a picture on the screen of Howard Hendricks. How many of you know that name? He was a fall Bible conference speaker here many, many years ago. How many of you had him as a prof? That explains a lot. Dick Osteen has his hand up. Uh, A lot of what Dr. Howard Hendricks has done is no doubt because he had Dick as a student and learned a lot from his student. Howard Hendricks tells of being on an airplane. It sat on the hot tarmac Dallas-Fort Worth airport one day for more than three hours. So the temperatures inside the plane heated up, as he tells it, so did the passengers. Dr. Hendricks says he was particularly impressed with one flight attendant who fielded the complaints, the angry looks, the barbed comments with unusual grace. So later as he left the plane, he introduced himself and said, may I have your name? 
I want to write a note to your boss at American Airlines commending your great service and your wonderful attitude. That's kind of you, she replied. I appreciate it, but I don't really work for American Airlines. Can you finish it? I'm serving the Lord. That little story is the emphasis of this morning's scripture in a nutshell. And it tells us here in Titus, but it tells us all over the same message. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. As I prayed a few moments ago, we know that. We've heard that many, many, many times. But to be reminded of that, to take that into tomorrow, whatever tomorrow holds, to take that into next week, you are serving the Lord Christ. It doesn't matter who your employer is or who your teacher is, who your prof is, who your coach is. None of that really matters because all of us are serving the Lord himself. Do you recognize the Lord as your employer? Do you recognize that when you go there? Will that change possibly a whole attitude the next time that you're in a work situation or when you're reporting to someone in authority? Driving a truck, maybe? Managing a lot of someone else's money? Fixing computers? Writing programs? Cleaning houses? Taking care of somebody's medical needs? Raising a family? Getting an education? Answering a phone? Fixing telephones, teaching, selling, engineering, crunching numbers. Whatever it may be is not compartmentalized away from your calling as Christians. You are not a Christian here and maybe at home, and then you forget all about that and go somewhere else, and now that has no bearing at all on the way that I carry myself, handle myself, relate to those in authority over me. That's what Paul told Titus here in verses 9 and 10. With those words starting out, be submissive to your own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. It's what he told Titus here in these verses. It's what he told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as, catch this, worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. And we'll see this over and over again this morning. That it carries a whole lot of weight, the way that we relate to those in authority over us in the testimony that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our testimony is directly affected. The glory, the praise of God is directly affected to the way we relate to those who are our bosses. And so Paul told Titus, he told Timothy, he told the Ephesian slaves also in Ephesians chapter 6. And will you turn there with me, please? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Just take a moment, if you will. It's nice to be able to see all of these in addition to hearing them. So Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. Again, it is doulos, or the bond slave who is in view here. And here's what it says in Ephesians 6. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, 
as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing, and catch this, the will of God from the heart. Sincere Christians always want to know, what is the will of God for me? Well, here is one of those occasions where it tells us specifically what it is. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Some great words for each one of us. Words that literally should revolutionize the way that we relate to others even tomorrow as, as we go off into the, that week of work or, or school or whatever it may be. So from these two verses, let's get a few principles here. Number one, the boss is always right. Some of you are shaking your head inside at least. The boss is always right. That's what Titus 2.9 teaches us, and it's affirmed in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 6. We've looked at those verses. It's affirmed in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, and we won't take the time to turn there this morning, but it's affirmed all over the New Testament. The boss is always right. It says that the bondservant is to be submissive to his boss or to his master. Two words, prepositional phrase, in every thing. Be submissive in everything. That means the boss is always right. At least that's how he's to be treated. He's to be treated as if he's always right. Because he or she is the boss. That's enough. That's all they have to be. Workers are to obey their bosses in everything. Of course, the unstated assumption here is that workers obey their bosses unless they're told to do something that directly violates what God has told them to do. If your boss tells you to go out and kill somebody, obviously you don't have to do that. If your boss tells you to fudge the books, be dishonest, cheat, lie, you don't have to do that. But in everything else, that's something that we need to be obedient. The word for submissive is the Greek word hupotasso. It means to rank under. It's a military term. Do you think they understand in the military that the boss is always right? They learn that pretty quickly. And if they don't learn that, there is a great deal of difficulty for them. Now, do you think that they believe in their heart the boss is always right? Um, Not necessarily, but to all practical intents, the boss is always right. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters. Masters is from the Greek word despotes. We get our word despot from that. That's not a word that is usually used as a compliment. What it means is that the master had complete authority over the bondservant. Complete authority, that's what a despot is. It's somebody that doesn't answer to anyone else. And so bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. The boss is always right, whether we want to Admit that or not, whether we want to live under that or not, that's what God's Word says. The boss is always right. We're also called to be non-argumentative, and that stands to reason that if the boss is always right, there's no need to argue. Uh, It's a waste of time, but it also is a waste of one's testimony. What comes to mind, some of you may be thinking this already, but what if he or she, my boss, is stupid? 
I won't ask you how many of you have bosses that are stupid because people on our church staff are here. (laughs) um, I wouldn't want to put them on the spot. But you may be thinking about your boss, he or she is stupid or maybe unnecessary. We don't even really need this person. Antiquated, boring, lacking in courage, passive or unproductive, uncreative. We're to obey that boss anyway. We're to avoid the trap of rationalizing. They don't know what they're doing. Or they don't pay me what I'm worth. Or I'll do what I think is best. That's not an option that is given to us. The boss is always right. The boss is always present as well. The boss is always present, even when he or she is out of town. Even when you can't see him, he's always present, at least in the way we should regard him. Don't just obey your boss when he or she is watching. Do it all the time. Boss doesn't need to be around to get a good day's work out of you. I'm going to change an expression slightly. When the cat's away, the Christian mice will work. Isn't that what it says in the Scripture? When the cat's away, the Christian mice will work. Maybe even harder. I can remember, this is one of three positive examples I can use for my life. So I I use it whenever I can. When uh, I was between college and seminary, I was taking a series of part-time jobs waiting for Beth to graduate, and then we were going off to seminary. One of the jobs was folding laundry in Bryn Mawr Hospital. It's not doing laundry, it's folding laundry. They have all sorts of things that come out of the laundry, and among them were sheets that were used to cover patients for surgery. They had holes in them uh, in various spots so that They could cover the patient, and then they could get to that part of the anatomy they needed to for the surgery. They were very large. They were very heavy in many cases. And um, they were something that none of the people that worked with me liked to fold. It was a two-person job to fold those sheets. They usually got stuck in the corner. They got in this basket, and the basket would overflow, and then it would be all over everywhere. Nobody wanted to fold it, and until an urgent order came from the operating room or something else, they never got folded. We had a lot of other things that we had to do as well. One of us, and there were only four of us, I was taking the place of somebody who was out for an extended period of time for surgery, but one of us had to work on Saturdays. And uh, it was a half a day on Saturday, but just to go in there and make sure that everything was done that needed to be done and they hadn't fallen behind or anything along that line. And... uh, I found out that there was a habit that they had was they never came in on Saturday when they were supposed to. Somebody else in the laundry, not in the folding area, but in the laundry, would punch their time card in, and they wouldn't show up at all. And I wanted to be absolutely certain that these ladies that I worked with knew that on my Saturday, and my Saturday came up the last last day I was there. I was only there for like six weeks, but it came up. And I wanted them to be sure that I had come to work and hadn't fudged. So I left them a little note at the end, but I also folded all of those sheets in the corner in addition to everything else. It's a two-person job. It was very, very difficult. But I did that uh, not so they would think highly of me, but because I had been talking to them about the Lord and about living our lives for Him. That's the point here. Nobody ever got caught 
in this, at least up until that point, and they had been doing this apparently for years. Nobody got caught. I could have very easily had somebody punch my time card, not shown up for work, and been dishonest and dishonored the Lord. That's why when we say the boss is always present, he is, because in Colossians 3.22 and Ephesians 6.6, Paul wrote this, not only when their eye is on you, or not by way just of eye service, your boss doesn't have to be there for you to work. The, the way of a Christian is to work just as hard or even harder when the boss isn't there so that that testimony for the Lord will be something that will stand true. So this, not by way of eye service, is a translation of ophthalmodulii or something um, in the Greek language. It's probably a word the Apostle Paul coined himself. He made it up. It's only used here in Ephesians. But it communicates, not by way of eye service, not just when their eye is on you. The boss is always present because ultimately we're working for whom? We're working for the Lord Jesus. So his eye is always on us, and we should always work as if the other boss has an eye on us as well. I remember watching teammates in baseball and basketball dogging it when we were warming up before some games or doing calisthenics early in the season, that sort of thing. Uh, they would be doing the exercise when the coach was watching. If the coach walked over here for some other reason, they would stop and slow down, and you could see they would be watching him. And as soon as he would start to turn around, then they would enter back into the calisthenics again or the exercises, whatever it would be. That only hurt them and the team. The coach shouldn't have to be watching all the time. Aren't we able to do what's best for our team without doing it to impress somebody or to avoid consequences? Here's the attitude you show this individual. When 20th Century Fox advertised in the New York papers to fill a vacancy in their sales force, one applicant replied in this way. He wrote to them and said, I am at present selling furniture at the address below. You may judge my ability as a salesman if you will stop in to see me at any time pretending that you are interested in buying furniture. When you come in, you can identify me by my red hair, and I will have no way of identifying you. Such salesmanship as I exhibit during your visit, therefore, will be no more than my usual work-a-day approach and not a special effort to impress a prospective employer." From among more than 1,500 applicants, the redhead got the job because his was the attitude that should be there. Our work is not just when people are looking at us. Our work is steady. It's part of our witness and because we understand ultimately that the Lord Christ is watching us. Nor should we be obeying our bosses just to get in good with them or to keep in good favor. Colossians 3.22 says, not as people pleasers. We're not doing what we're doing just to get in good, not to be the teacher's pet. Nothing wrong with being a teacher's pet, but there's something wrong if it's connived. Something wrong if it's not deliber- if it's, if it's deliberately done instead of just the normal way that somebody does. God is not calling any of us to be Eddie Haskells. Put your hand up if you know who Eddie Haskell is, and leave your hand up for a moment. For those of you that don't know who Eddie Haskell is, this is a cross-generational ministry. Ask somebody with a hand up (laughs) later on, 
and ask them how it relates to the message that we're not simply being people-pleaser. The boss is always right. The boss is always present. The boss is always to be honored. That's what we read. The boss is to be honored. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. That's always honored and honored to the fullest. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, it says, We work hard and obey our bosses with sincerity of heart and fearing the Lord. What does sincerity mean? It means singleness. It means without self-seeking. The idea is to honor the boss. It's to work for him and accomplish what he wants because he's the one that I'm accountable to. No selfish motives. Something that's genuine, giving to the boss, having his interests in mind. That's sincerity of heart. Fearing the Lord. Obviously, we're reverencing Him in what we're doing. It also means that we realize His glory can be shown in our lives by the way we work. What we say about God can be made attractive to others in the way we work. The opposite is always true. And again, understanding the Lord sees everything. Now look back at our text in Titus chapter 2, verse 10. You look at the end of verse 10. It says, in everything we can make the teaching about God attractive by adorning it. That in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Adorn is an interesting word in the Greek. It's cosmeo from the Greek word that we get cosmetic from. Interesting. We want sound teaching to be our makeup to be part of how we look, how we present ourselves. And so we're we're not supposed to be doing some of these things. We're supposed to be well-pleasing, but not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The they, there's the bondservants. They are the ones putting on the makeup, the cosmetics that will bring out the best in them, and they do it by doing what it says in these verses here before us. We're called to be well-pleasing, it says in verse 9. Well-pleasing instead of a sullen attitude, doing the bare minimum. If I'm walking around and I look and I see that somebody is littered something there, that's not my job, that's not my job description. Do I have the best interest in mind for where I'm working or do I just want to do what I have to do so I can get out of there and I can get a paycheck? Non-argumentative. And there are a lot of ways we can be argumentative. It means don't be insolent, don't be flip, don't be resistant, don't be combative, don't be uncooperative. Don't be disrespectful. Don't be sarcastic. And then the ESV uses a word we're not really all that familiar with, not pilfering. We don't use that a whole lot. It means not stealing, not taking something that doesn't belong to us, taking something that belongs maybe to the company or to the boss or to another employee, not pilfering. We're supposed to be showing all good faith, and it includes that area as well. Our witness depends again on our work, Our words have no meaning apart from our work. But somebody uses the expression time theft. What exactly is time theft? Um, That's not it. Um, For those of you that can't see the screen, there's somebody who's trying to steal a big clock. 
Um, that's not it. That's not time theft. But what is time theft? There's an example of it on the screen now. Somebody with their laptop and her feet up during work time. Um, this has actually been coined cyber loafing. It is a part of time theft on the job. Here's what time theft is. Time theft is when employees accept pay for time they have not actually put into their work. From fudging timesheets to using work time for playtime, whenever employees are on the clock but not on the job, they're stealing time. Time theft can be hard to detect, comes in many forms and many levels of severity. Employers pay the price via inflated payroll and lost productivity. What is the cost of time theft for business? Very, very hard to calculate. But one estimate says that it costs U.S. employers more than $400 billion a year in lost productivity. $400 billion. Here's another thing to think about. Do you drive the company car or truck the same way you drive your own? Would you drive with the same care that you drive your own and, and drive the company car or truck? Are you as careless with your own tools as with the company's? Here's a research from the National Retail Federation found that retail outlets lost somewhere near, in this case, a very, I, I think, under, under-inflated figure, $20 billion in one year alone from employee and vendor theft and administrative areas errors, excuse me, to what the industry refers to as inventory shrinkage. Isn't that a nice euphemism? Inventory shrinkage. People stealing from the job site. Here's the point. People observe our work. The people who work with us know whether we're giving our boss an honest day's work or not. And we're supposed to show all good faith. Let me tell you about Eddie. Eddie was a clerk in a hardware store. He made a name for himself as the most inefficient and contentious salesman ever. The atmosphere when he was absent one day was dramatically better. One regular customer remarked on the difference. Eddie ain't just away for the day, said the proprietor. He don't work here no more. Do you have anyone in mind for the vacancy, asked the customer. Nope, said the proprietor cheerfully. Eddie didn't leave no vacancy. That's obviously the antithesis of the text before us today. But what would be said about you if you were suddenly not there anymore? Would it be a huge loss? Would it be any loss at all? Or would it be a gain? Would it be a subtraction is really addition? Don't be like this man. The sign in the store window read, no help wanted. Two men were passing by. One said to the other, you should apply. You'd be great. That obviously, again, is not what we're looking for in the text. Why? We're back again. The Lord is the ultimate boss. Lord's the ultimate boss. Therefore, we should work with all of our hearts at whatever we do. Remember, we saw that in Colossians 3. Here's a negative example in the Scriptures. Negative example was King Amaziah, who was the eighth king of Judah, See what it says in Second Chronicles 25, 2. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. He was halfway there. 
but not with a whole heart. That's not the type of person that God wants to send out into this world to be salt, light, and fragrance, to have people observe somebody who is doing what he or she is doing with half a heart or part of a heart. Here's a positive scriptural example, the man Caleb. We know Caleb is one of those two spies. Some very interesting things said about Caleb. This was according to his own personal testimony. And according to his own personal testimony, in Joshua chapter 14, 8, he claimed to wholly follow the Lord. Not half-heartedly, not as we saw with Amaziah, not with his whole heart, but wholeheartedly he was following the Lord. But then... It goes on later on in chapter 14, same chapter, the next verse, verse 9, Moses affirmed that Caleb was doing that as well. People were watching. Moses said, here's Caleb, a man who's following the Lord wholeheartedly. But then a few verses later, it was verified by Joshua as well. And then, best yet, by the time we get to verse 24, God himself verifies that. Here's a man, Caleb, following the Lord with his whole heart. And that's what he said, but that's what Moses said about him. That's what Joshua said about him. And then that's what the Lord said about him as well. That's what we're looking for in believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is the ultimate boss, so we want to follow him wholeheartedly. Part of that involves not being half-hearted on the job. There was an executive secretary who once said, when I began to envision Jesus standing behind my boss, and I would say, that's great if you do that, but I'd say it's better yet to say that picture Jesus being your boss, not standing behind your boss. She said, my work changed. I had to do my very best then. Even the menial task of serving coffee became a joy, and my attitude changed from arrogance to respect. Let me ask you a question. Is it accurate to say this? Christian workers should be the best the company has in honesty and integrity, respect, character, dependability, and effort. Should that not be the case? It it absolutely should be. The Christian employee may not be the fastest worker, may not cut the straightest lines, may not bring in the most new accounts, may not make the most accurate diagnoses, but should still be the best employee. Students, let's pick on you for a little bit. Christian student, is this accurate? Should be the best student a teacher has with regard to honesty and integrity, respect, dependability, character, and effort. Is that not true? I think we would all agree with that. Do all of you who are students make that effort to be that kind of student? The Christian student may not get the best grades, but it won't be for lack of trying. The Christian student may not get all the awards, but he should be in the running for the important ones based on effort and character. There's no justification for sloppy work on the part of the Christian worker. There's no room for half-hearted effort. There's no excuse for waste, whether it be wasted supplies, wasted talent, or wasted brains. There should be no insubordination, no talking back, and no disrespect. Do you know there was a great testimony? This is not Dallas Seminary. We were at Dallas Seminary a little earlier. We're going to Trinity right now. Trinity International University is now where I graduated from seminary. 
We were all looking for jobs when we went to seminary. And um, you'd ask the other students, where's a good place to apply? And they all said, apply at UPS. You go to UPS and you tell them you're a Trinity student, they will say, you are hired. You do not have to do anything else except tell them you're from Trinity. That's a great testimony for believers. A great testimony that, wouldn't it be great if you're working somewhere and there's an opening and you tell somebody about that in personnel and, and they, um, you say, I've, I, I know this person. Does this person go to your church? Yes? We'll hire that person. Well, don't you want to interview them? No. If you give your word, if they're anything like you, we're going to hire that person. That's really the way that it should be. What employee benefits do you get for working for God? They're pretty good. Turn with me once again, if you will, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. It's kind of where we came in, in one regard. Pick up in verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now note this, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. He's got something great for us. You are serving the Lord Christ. A lot of people complain about the working environment, working conditions, present and future benefits. Do you ever feel overworked, overregulated, underleisured, underbenefited? Remember this in addition to Colossians 3.23, Ephesians 6.8, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Receive back from the Lord. The paybacks come from him. But maybe you're thinking things are not going real well where I am. Uh, this notice was found in the ruins of a London office building. It was dated 1852. This firm has reduced the hours of work, and the clerical staff will now only have to be present between the hours of 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. weekdays. Clothing must be of a sober nature. The clerical staff will not disport themselves in raiment of bright colors, nor will they wear hose unless in good repair or unless I guess they're expecting a fire. A stove is provided for the benefit of the clerical staff. Coal and wood must be kept in the locker. It is recommended that each member of the clerical staff bring four pounds of coal each day during the cold weather. No member of the clerical staff may leave the room without permission from the supervisor. No talking is allowed during business hours. Now that the hours of business have been drastically reduced, the partaking of food is allowed between 11.30 and noon but work will not on any account cease. Members of the clerical staff will provide their own pens. A new sharpener is available on application to the supervisor. The supervisor will nominate a senior clerk to be responsible for the cleanliness of the main office and the private office. All boys and juniors will report to him 40 minutes before prayers and will remain after closing hours for similar work. The owners recognize the generosity of the new labor laws, but will expect a great rise in output of work to compensate for these near-utopian conditions. Good news is our benefits are even greater than that. Actually, they're light years greater than that. Pension plan is great. We receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
Our boss is the best. We have the absolute trust in him. It's the Lord Christ we are serving. He will pay us back. Here's my prayer. Somewhere in some school, some business establishment, some place where we are this week, someone is going to say to someone else, what has gotten into what has gotten into him? What has gotten into her? I've never seen this kind of output. I've never seen this kind of cooperation. I'm going to find out what that's all about, and you get a chance to tell them. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've called us to be salt, light, and fragrance. We talk about it all the time. But if that salt, light, and fragrance in affecting others because we're not letting your word affect us, then we waste a lot of time when we come here to church and hear your word or when we have our devotions. Please help us, each one, to take seriously what it is you want us to take into this next week. We thank you for what you're going to do through us in Jesus' name. Amen.